They're such a common part of summer. You may never really have thought about what goes into making the sunscreen that you use to keep yourself safe. This week on Consume This, we're all about sunscreens. We know how important they are, we know they're expensive, and for a fair skin, slightly faded redhead like myself, they're an absolute necessity. But in the world of sun protection, not everything is as it seems. The owner and four key staff have all pleaded guilty to fraud. They uh, are up now for sentencing. The business had to forfeit uh, 46.2 million US dollars, which I calculate is just under 70 million New Zealand. That equates to 10,000 to 20,000 falsified test reports. That's John Staten. He's an international sunscreen expert based over in Australia. What he's talking about here is the effect of the AMA labs fraud. We really wanted to discuss this topic because, well, to be frank, no one else really is. Even the industry just kept on going after the fraud was revealed, kept on using AMA labs results, and in some cases have only stopped relying on their tests recently. So how did this all start? AMA was set up in 1980s New York to evaluate product claims for the cosmetics industry. Does this spray really make your hair more voluminous? Will this foundation cause irritation? And of course, they set up to do SPF testing. Around 30 years later, back in 2017, AMA is raided by the FBI for fraudulently making up test results. For 30 years. The owner, Gabrielle Letizia Jr., as well as four key staff members, have subsequently pleaded guilty to producing false test results. Five of them are currently awaiting sentencing. We contacted them, but they either didn't want to reply or declined to speak with us. So what were they making up about those fake SPF results? I think it's a pretty safe bet that they weren't giving out lower scores. And the fallout from this fraud means that there are still products out there tested by AMA that may not be giving you the level of protection you expect. My daughter was 10 months old and I had a a mole on the back of my leg. I'd noticed it had been changing. I particularly noticed it changing over during my pregnancy, which I've heard happens sometimes to women. I just got so weighed down with all the new mother stuff that I sort of put it to the back of my mind until it got like like noticeably different and was itchy and I was like oh this isn't good I got it biopsied taken out had quite a long wait for her which was really stressful you know instantly thinking the worst and like what's what's going to happen it was really a really hard time and something that I sort of am still dealing with to this day you know you're listening to consume this with me John and me Sophie that's Pip Brown, a.k.a. Kiwi pop star and lately Twitch streamer Ladyhawk. Towards the end of 2018, she discovered an invasive melanoma on the back of her leg. That's the most serious type of skin cancer. I got called into the doctors. They didn't give me the results over the phone, which is why I knew it was bad. And it came back as a Clark's level for melanoma. The level of melanoma that it was, it... it it potentially could have been really, really bad. So I wasn't given any straight answers as to whether I was going to be okay or not um, because they simply couldn't answer that. 
from the minute I got diagnosed to the surgery, I had this thing in my head like, how bad is this going to be? Am I going to am I going to die? You know, all of that was going through my head. That all happened in a two week period, the diagnosis and then the um, surgery. So it was sort of like a hellish two weeks of waiting. And um, I was just really lucky because I know a lot of Clark's level four melanomas don't quite go that way. So I, uh, it was hell. <laughs> so Pip's experience isn't a rare occurrence. Every year in Aotearoa, around 90,000 people are diagnosed with skin cancer. That gives us the second highest rate in the world, right after our Aussie cousins. But if you just look at melanoma, which is the most serious type of skin cancer, we rank number one in the world. And that's not something to be proud of. And to blame, well, it's the Earth's sun. It's particularly fierce here in New Zealand. Our peak UV levels are up to 40% higher than in the Northern Hemisphere. There are a few reasons for that, most of them bad. But interestingly, a good one is that we have cleaner air. Pollution, it turns out, isn't good for our lungs, but it does provide some sun protection for our skin. I remember when I got diagnosed, I went exactly back to a time that I got severely sunburnt um, on my feet and legs when I was... uh, 19 I think I was I'd like gone to the beach with my friends I'm normally the person that goes to the beach covered up head to toe but I was in shorts and I didn't have any sun cream on and I got brutally sunburnt to the point of like my feet swelled up and it was just really really awful I'm pretty certain that that's probably what did it yeah Consume This is brought to you by Consumer NZ. We know the importance of sun safety. We know you rely on sunscreen to keep you and your whānau safe. And we also know that not all sunscreens are created equal. And John, as a ginger, you know the particular importance of sunscreen. So do you have any interesting sunscreen stories that you could regale us with? Well, I certainly know it from the perspective of a parent of ginger children I, I mean obviously I feel the the weight of responsibility probably being primarily responsible for their gingerness um, <laughs> to make sure they're they're protected and also make sure that they don't go through what I went through as a, as a kid and it's not necessarily like I endured anything but I think I, I'm a great example of attitudes that were prevalent at the time and you know mm. the first kind of few burns of summer where you kind of put a bit of a crust on and that meant you were pretty much right for the rest of summer and didn't have to apply sunscreen too liberally and you know we now know that that's bullshit not a good way to have lived your life and i you know i fully expect to um reap the consequences of that later in life but a really interesting story that they kind of brought home to me the fact that not all sunscreens are created equal happened a couple of years ago and um, I, to this day, still play cricket for a team I've played with for many years. What's and your cricket team called, John? My cricket team is called Falcon Hawk. <laughs> it's the two best birds. <laughs> yeah, we'll cut that bit, eh? Anyway, so um, every year, Falcon Hawk pulls some money together and we buy a big thing of sun cream for the team and it goes Tough in the team cream. bag and it's called Teamy Creamy. <laughs> and um, one year... Uh, and I actually, unfortunately, I can't remember the brand, but it was a blue brand. And we all duly, as we as slip, we regularly slip. do, slip, slap, slap before um, T 
taking the field. And some of the fairer ones uh, amongst us, including myself, kept getting burned. And we were like, what's going on? Jeez, the sun must be really intense this year. And Timmy Creamy ran out and we replaced it with a different brand. Mm-hmm. And suddenly people weren't getting burnt anymore. And um, wow. a few of us kind of figured it out, probably over a beer after the game at some point. <laughs> Actually, oh, geez, maybe that was an inferior batch of sunscreen. I mean, that's why we've been testing these sunscreens and keeping tabs on manufacturers for over 10 years, right, John? Yep. We've been doing that because we want them to actually meet their SPF claims and because no one else is actually checking up on them. If I pick up a bottle and it says SPF 50 on the bottle, it should actually be SPF 50 in the bottle. And that seems reasonable, right? Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But... I mean, that's not always the case. And this year we tested over 15 sunscreens and we've had nine results come back so far, which we'll be sharing with you soon. So what do the numbers actually mean? What does SPF 30 mean? Well, in simple terms, it means that if you get what we call a mild erythema, that's when you start to just go pink in the sun, then that protection should multiply that by the number. So if that's 10 minutes, uh, then it should be 300 minutes of protection. Right. So with an SPF 30, I could presumably spend 300 minutes out in the sun. Yeah, but you also take, have to take into account that you'll, you'll rub the product off. You might sweat it off if it's not particularly water resistant. Uh, sand abrasion, all those sort of factors come into play. It is quite standard practice, uh, pretty well in most countries, for a recommendation to be to reapply. Mm. Mm. And what's the difference between SPF and broad spectrum protection? So SPF is really protection from that getting red effect, whereas broad spectrum is to do with long-term damage to the skin. The UV light is more penetrating so it tends to uh, do a lot of internal damage to the skin and that's when you'll get effects like premature aging. Alright, so that's what SPF is and how it works. But how do manufacturers figure out which number to put on the bottle? So we use people's skin, not instrument. So we call in vivo testing, alright, live testing. This is Holly Feng. She's the clinical manager at the Eurofins Dermatest Lab in Sydney. I gave her a call to find out more about how our sunscreen testing is carried out. It's quite a bad line, but what Holly is saying is that to test the SPF, they get the products, apply them to people's skin, and watch how long it takes for their skin to redden. So we need to make sure their skin is neutral, not sun-tanned, not sunburned recently. Basically, we just need that clear skin on their back. Yeah, but it's not as simple as putting some sunscreen on someone's back and hoping for a sunny day. This all takes place in a controlled lab environment. Unlike when I go down to the beach, Holly measures and applies the sunscreen exactly the way specified on the label. Uh, Usually it's a two milligram every square centimetre. So in this laboratory, say, it's a 40 square centimetre. We usually put 80 millimetre of product in the square. That's a 2 milligram every square centimetre. We just put the product on their back 
then let them sit in front of solar simulator. Solar simulator is like an artificial sunlight. A solar simulator is around the size of two shoeboxes and weighs about the same as a largest cat. You know, your average jonky little floof. It has one job, and that is to simulate natural sunlight in a controlled lab environment. It's much stronger than the sun, though. It's not harmful, of course. You know, everything within the uh, safety range. And the light is very, very small, more like a little button. It's simple. With your skin, like eight minutes in the sun to get the sunburn without any product, in our laboratory, probably only take about uh, 18 seconds. So what Holly and her team are doing here is checking to see how long it takes for the test subject's skin to redden. If it took 18 seconds with no sunscreen and 540 seconds with sunscreen applied, that's 30 times as long, hence SPF 30. If it took 900 seconds, well, that would be a factor of 50, and so on. For a result to be considered valid, it needs to be tested and replicated on a minimum of 10 people. At least... That's how it's supposed to work. But as I said at the start of the show, here at Consumer NZ we've been testing sunscreens for a while now. And regularly, some products fail to meet the SPF claims on the bottle. In our latest round of results, released this week, a third of the products we'd tested so far had a lower SPF than the label claim. We'll tell you which ones soon. So how does that happen? Don't companies test their products to ensure that they meet their claims? They do, just not very regularly. And not very well by the sounds of it. Well, not always. And there's a but. And this is a big Kardashian-sized butt coming. <laughs> going to break the internet. <laughs> Even if they genuinely think they've done everything right, things aren't always as they seem. In my experience, uh, many, many reports have overstated by a long degree, a very large degree, the actual SPF. That's John Staten again. He's a human encyclopedia about the sunscreen industry. And as we found out earlier, he's also been keeping tabs on this AMA fraud. We don't know for sure how many test results for sunscreen products AMA Labs actually faked over the 30 years. What we do know is that they have pled guilty to lying, falsifying, and making up test results during that period. So John... I reckon we should go and have a look at some of AMA's Google reviews and see if we can get a better feel for the company. All right. The first one doesn't look great. Uh, Steve Rensick said, I would avoid doing business with the company currently under investigation by the FBI for conducting fraudulent testing. Poor attitude and customer service. One star. All right. Well, Jason Weber... Um, four years ago, said, um, terrible place. I used to be a panellist and do testing on products for them. Then I realised they were doing the testing all wrong and not reporting proper results. Also, they were just raided by the FBI for the second time in two months. Stay away. <laughs> I mean, but that's two one-stars, John. Like, we, you know, we need to be yeah, fair. Right, you know, there yeah. might be some good ones. Balance it out. Yeah. Yep. Well, the, the, there's this one. Uh a woman, I assume, called V. Ventura, um, she says, as a former employee, I can say this was simply the most professionally run organisation I've ever experienced. Not only is the owner of the company a most honourable and fair gentleman, 
He is also remarkably kind and generous to all of his employees. It sounds like he should wear like a really tall top hat and have a cane. <laughs> I'm imagining the great um, TV show. <laughs> um, it was a great honour for me to have been aboard for the years I was employed by AMA and to have had the absolute pleasure and fortune to have a boss with such integrity. Thank you, GL and AMA, for the best working experience of my entire personal career. Five stars. I mean, I don't know about you, John. I mean, you're a chief executive. Have you ever received a five-star review of that sort of nature? Not from anyone other than my mum. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, one, I don't know anyone who leaves five-star reviews about their employers online, to be perfectly honest. But also, it just seems highly unlikely that's that's a real person. Look, I enjoy the next review, which is um, also a one-star, so you can probably anticipate it's not going to be a great one. Mm. Um, this is from James Patterson. It's bad enough you have the FBI, FDA, Rockland DA, and OSA, I'm not sure what that is, AUSA, all after you. But now, why not get the FTC involved for creating false profiles, V. Ventura, to trick <laughs> customers into thinking you are of moral character? He's been investigated for fraud, right? Well, doesn't that phony review just 100% support that theory? I don't know who V. Ventura worked for, but I can tell you this guy is nothing but a fast-talking, double-dealing con artist. One star. <laughs> Pros. We were all well paid for covering up their corruption. Cons. This is the most hostile work environment. <laughs> so we've spent about five minutes checking out their reviews. But our man John Staten, well, he's been keeping an eye on AMA for a lot longer than that. I've been following them for about 20 years. I think the outcome of it all is that um, the owner and four key staff have all pleaded guilty to fraud and they uh, are up now for sentencing. The business had to forfeit 46.2 million US dollars, which I calculate is just under 70 million New Zealand. And if you calculate that by a rough figure, of two to three thousand dollars for testing, um, that equates to ten thousand to twenty thousand falsified test reports. That's the implication of it. So, you can't say it's a minor mm -hmm. uh, infringement. It is very widespread falsification. So, so what's happened subsequently is TGA in Australia have issued cautions to the the sponsors of sunscreens and said you need to get supplementary data from another independent lab to support your claim. Sorry, what's so TGA, got, John? Uh, Therapeutic Goods Administration in Australia. Right. So what exactly was the fraud that they, like how were they falsifying the reports? Uh, they simply weren't doing the work. They were just filling in some spreadsheets. Oh, so they never did the test? No. Slightly terrifying. And, and so, look, I, I know from my experience at Consumer NZ that we go out to independent laboratories around the world, actually, to get uh, sunscreens tested, and it's it's pretty expensive to do. Were AMA cheaper than other labs? Uh, interestingly, they played their strategy by, first of all, being quicker, which they obviously could be. <laughs> Yeah, well, if and, you're not doing the job, then... <laughs> and, and, and if you wanted extra quick, 
uh, they were uh, charging up to double the normal fee. Right. So if you wanted to jump the queue, you'd have to uh, pay substantially more. Right. So it wasn't necessarily a, a cost-saving effort by the, the sunscreen manufacturers. It was more of a potentially a time-saving Saving. Uh, t- time, yes. It's all marketers like instant gratification. I think it's inherent in them. Um, so to tell someone that it's going to take two to three months to do it properly, when another a lab's offering to do it in forty-eight hours, is uh, highly attractive. Because mm, you can get your product to market sooner, right? Yeah, particularly with seasonality. Mm. And what happens with sunscreens, there's a lot of innovation, you know, there's a lot of changes of the products from season to season. So people want to get through the process very quickly. What is the fallout from this? Were they still relying on these results, even though they knew that a fraud had gone down and that people had pled guilty to that fraud? I can't say categorically because um, I believe it was only in July that the the owner of the business um, changed his plea from... Uh, not guilty to guilty, he had challenged the key staff that had previously pleaded and uh, put a case that he didn't have any knowledge of that. So in that intervening period, I think there was a degree of doubt. There was nothing conclusive until the court made that final ruling. Right. I imagine the case was fairly well known in the industry. Uh, The raid took place four years earlier the Department of Justice and Food and Drug Administration, FDA, took another two years to to prepare the case. So you could say there was a general knowledge uh, four years earlier than this this ruling. Right. What was exactly happening? So they're they're not doing the work, but surely they must have been putting up some sort of front about that they were doing something. Um, This, again, now is my interpretation. Uh, what they were doing is they asked for a target SPF um, and let's say your target was SPF 40, they would uh, reverse engineer their reports so that um, the number was always a little bit higher than this so-called target. I've looked at maybe 60 of their reports over the years. The numbers always looked nice. Uh, They went as far as to claim that if your product failed, they wouldn't charge you. It does seem like it might create a perverse incentive for the lab, though, right, to meet that. This feels like it's quite a big thing. What's the sunscreen industry done to kind of clean up afterwards? I mean, it sounds like there must have been quite a bit of fallout from this. Uh, well, it, well, there certainly was, and I think there's still more to come. Uh, for example, the FDA haven't actually initiated any recalls or, as far as I'm aware, made any evaluations from the market and independent evaluations. So I can so, still buy sunscreen that has been fraudulently tested? Uh, yes. Wow. Simple answer, yes. So what's the industry done? Well, through the uh, ISO process, we have completely remastered the test methods. Quite a bit of that was from my initiation, so that you should not be able to falsify that endpoint of the experiment. And uh, also uh, the requirements for giving a lot more information about the testing. But I don't think any requirements will stop intentional fraud. Right. So if I walk into the supermarket today, is there a way for me to know 
what sunscreen is good and what one is bad? Well, simply no. Mm. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us? I, I can. I can say though that uh, market forces have, of course, play a role in it. And uh, if if some if there's a serious issue with a is a sunscreen, it'll tend to come back through the media with people reporting on getting burnt or the products coming off or mm-hmm. uh, something something else is happening, getting irritation, whatever it might be. So in terms of like lab testing and, you know, the, the AMA fraud went on for, I think you said 30 years, which is an insane amount of time. What's stopping other labs or other companies doing exactly the same thing? Uh, I would say very little except their customers, their clients would tend to, uh, I hope, be looking a little bit more closely at the reports. Mm. So do you think that there are, in your experience, there are other labs doing the same thing as AMA or is do you think that the, on the whole the uh, industry is On the whole, I don't reliable? think they dare to be as blatant. Right. So AMA was on, at the extreme, was it? Uh, it was at the absolute extreme, yeah. Okay. So do you think that labs have our best interest at heart then you know i believe most of them do yes i think uh there's only you know in any any industry a small percentage of people who are simply just greedy and as i said there aren't many to choose from and and, and covid's been another major factor because uh, a lot of the labs uh, including in australia had to close for extended periods and now they're just going through the catch-up so yeah that's going to be an issue and picking up the loss from uh, AMA, because they were testing thousands of products a year. Mm. Well, that's kind of nuts, John. It's all this fraud going on and the products involved are still on the shelves. Yeah, it's quite concerning, isn't it? Mm. And that brings us to this year's test results. We've just released the first batch, which you can find on the Consumer NZ website. We have tested... A number of products this season, and there's more results to come, but we've had a number of holdups with COVID-19 shutting down or delaying tests in laboratories offshore. Of the results we've had back, a full one-third of them have failed some or all of the tests that we do on these products. Now, this isn't to say that these products are completely useless. They do have some protection value. However, they are not meeting the high claims that they have on their labels. Soph, who are those offenders? Well, the offenders are Banana Boat Daily Protect Sunscreen Lotion SPF 50+, Natural Instinct Invisible Natural Sunscreen SPF 30, and Sukin Suncare Sheer Touch Facial Sunscreen Untinted SPF 30. They all failed. So that's not good. And to make matters worse, all three of them also failed our tests last year. Mm, they didn't learn their lesson, did they? Both Natural Instinct and Sukin have previously relied on test results from AMA Labs, <laughs> although they have both since retested their products at UK-based labs. I'm not saying that makes them no good. Any sunscreen is better than no screen, but it does mean they're not as good as they say they are. We expect the remainder of our results will be with you sometime in February as long as the technicians can get into the labs. 
And while sunscreen is super important, it's just one of the ways you can protect yourself. Remember the old slip, slop, slap and wrap, just cover up and limit your time in the sun. Particularly between 10am and 4pm when the sun is at its most fierce. Stay safe out there, kids. We contacted both AMA Labs and its former owner, Gabriel Letizia Jr., for this podcast. Neither of them responded to us prior to publication. The US Department of Justice also declined to speak with us for this episode. Every year, the Ministry of Health funds Consumer NZ to do a certain number of sunscreen tests. This year, we were able to do a whole lot of extra testing, and a huge portion of the funding for that testing came from you. If you're one of the 1,177 people who donated to our crowdfunder earlier this year, thank you. Your support helped us raise an extra $55,000 and test 11 extra sunscreens. Our first results are live on consumer.org.nz now, and there are even more on the way. To keep up to date with the next results, make sure you sign up to our mailing list. The website link is in the show notes. Consume This is brought to you by Consumer NZ and hosted by us, John and Sophie. This episode was produced by Tom Ray Smith. Our thanks to Consumer NZ sunscreen expert Belinda Castles. Belinda! Yeah! As well as John Staten, Craig Dennison, Holly Feng, Pip Brown, Janina Finn, and former AMA lab staffers who shared their stories with us but wish to remain anonymous. You know who you are. Can I thank V Ventura for making my day? <laughs> yes, V Ventura in we particular. Love you, v. Yeah. <laughs> Matua. Hello, I am Abby Darman and I work in the campaigns team at Consumer New Zealand. I want to tell you about some of the exciting work we're doing here at Consumer New Zealand. Right now, literally, as we speak, we are working really hard to keep big businesses and our lawmakers in check. So we're currently engaged in taking on unfair retirement village contracts, misleading supermarket pricing and dodgy green claims. To keep up this good work, we need to raise $50,000 before the 24th of September. So please, if you can, help us to help others by heading to consumer.org.nz forward slash donate. Thanks so much.